Hey everybody, my name is Joshua Brown. I'm really excited about today's episode because today we have Eric Johnson with us from Bethel Church in Redding, California. And, uh, and what I want to do is I want to talk to him about not only what God has done in Bethel Church, uh, but really what specifically I want to talk to him about is how they stewarded those early encounters, especially him being a kid kind of growing up in the early stages of this, how they stewarded that into becoming something that is now generational, uh, what we would call legacy. And so I hope you take a lot from this episode. I know I will, and we're going to get started now. Hey, Pastor Eric, thank you so much for being with us today. We're so excited that you're on the podcast today. And Josh, it's great to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in, and I, I really want to start with this question. Um, I, would, I would love for you to talk about the beginning season of what we know as Bethel Church, specifically growing up in a family that was kind of leading this Reformation effort to see revival in Reading and now beyond Reading. And, um, and as you're kind of talking through that, what were some of the moments that marked you as a kid slash, you know, young adult growing up in this? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, um, I'm asked this question often, and each time I'm asked it, I'm reminded of, you know, as a kid, you know, you, you don't realize you're actually paying attention, but you don't realize it till you're an adult and you reflect like, oh, I remember hearing that. I remember those conversations or those moments. And one of them I remember is, you know, I come from a family, so just a quick backdrop, I'm sixth generation pastor on my dad's side and fourth generation Christian on my mom's side. So I have a deep Christian heritage that goes way back. So I come, I come from that momentum, so to speak. But I remember these conversations overhearing about my grandfather talking with my dad about their dreams for the church, about their dreams for the body of Christ. And so I remember vaguely these conversations around they had so much vision to see the beauty of the church, not just stay within the four walls of the church, but what would it look like for it to actually impact and change culture and society. So now that I'm obviously, you know, in my adult years, I go, oh, I remember those conversations, but I didn't know what they were at the time, so to speak. So from a marking standpoint, what marked me, honestly, just being aware that I am, I don't know if it's a moment as much as just being highly keen, keenly aware on I'm part of something that people have been dreaming about for generations. So that alone for me is a massive moment of just realizing, oh, uh, I, I'm not starting something from nothing. I'm actually stepped into just with my own family. And then if you go beyond that, it goes thousands of years back. Just Jesus. I mean, so, but I think being aware of that, I think it's really important for people to be aware that you're actually part of something that is much bigger than you. And I think oftentimes as leaders, we think, you know, we got to start. Like, actually, no, no, you're part of something that's thousands of years ago, started thousands of years ago. Gamaliel told, told the religious leaders in Acts, I think it's Act 8, he said, guys, hey, if this isn't God, it's going to fall apart. Right. But if, but if it's God, we better get out of the way. And I like to tell leaders, hey, we're a part of that. And so for me, just being aware of that really shapes and realize I don't have to start something. I just pick what's in my generation, and I'm going to carry it forward to the next generation. So those are, when I hear that question, that's what comes to my mind. That's really awesome. Were, were there were there moments in when as a kid? Because um, even though this has kind of been rolling, it sounds like before maybe you were even born. But um, 
as a kid, were there any moments when you knew the promises of God, you knew the dreams that God had given you, and yet what you were seeing didn't look anything like the fulfillment of some of that stuff that you guys had either heard in the spirit, prophesied over, or had dreams about? Yeah, for sure. You know, being a PK, being a church kid, you know, um, what was cool was outside of church. You know, so especially the PK, it's like, man, I want, you know, it's always the grass is greener on the other side type of thing. So that's pretty normal for church kids, PK kids. Now it feels like it's flipped. And what I mean by that is, so I think it probably, I mean, my parents did crazy things with us as kids. They, you know, at 14 year old, we would go smuggle Bibles in China. You know, 15 year old, we would go into former Soviet Union and do street ministry. I mean, so we were constantly like on the front line, sort of speak. And so, but now that feels so normal when back then it was so extreme. And so I think for me as a kid being exposed to kind of the front line, maybe extreme, if you will. And now, and that shaped my worldview. Now it feels so common. So I think marking moments were a lot of my formative years of junior high, high school, just being exposed to more of the extreme expressions of the gospel and being exposed to people that were doing wild things. So as a kid, a lot of moments were in my childhood that shaped my worldview and shaped my view of the gospel. Like it can't just be words on a page. It has to be lived out. And it actually needs to um, not can, you know, not to, it needs to actually make society better and beautiful. So that was a lot of my formative years, deeply impacted by that. Then I would say probably in my 20s, there's a series of seasons where my view of the gospel became more outward focused than inward focused. And what I mean by that is not only being about, let's get people to church every Sunday. Actually, no, it's actually, it's, the kingdom is bigger than that. It's, it's more expansive than that. It includes that, but it's not the whole thing. In my 20s, I think a lot of some of the things that I preach and teach a lot now were, were bubbling up in my 20s. I, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more than just a Sunday gathering or Wednesday night YouTube. I think those, those questions started really taking shape in my 20s. So by the time I got into my 30s, I started getting articulation, started seeing what did the kingdom look like outside of the church. So we talk about reformation, transformation. That would be some of the journey for me, at least. And now in my 40s, definitely I'm neck deep in it, so to speak. All right, so coming off of that, because I think that's really interesting, a lot of the church, even the churches I grew up in, were, were very inward focused. Um, and like you said, we would reach out for people to come into the church, but it never went beyond that to us going outside of the church. And so um, with that line of thinking, Bethel has obviously done a lot for the city of Reading. Um, in a lot of different ways. What were some of the the conversations that kind of started this process of taking what God was doing inside the church, outside of the church, to, to, to some things like, you know, recording the city video and parks and, you know, stuff like that? What, were, what was some of that process like for you guys? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, in a nutshell, I would say, I would say most people, when they think of I hope I can articulate enough in, in the time frame, but most people, would, when they talk about evangelism, let's just take that word alone. Most people in the church think about, you know, getting people saved, doing crusades, uh, you know, some would say praying for the sick. 
it's very um, focused on that, which, yes, that's the gospel. There's no denying that. But I think there's something we also forget that you can see in the whole scope of Scripture. So if you go back to the Old Testament, there seem to be a couple major themes apart from the fall of man and sin and its, and its effect on humanity. That's a massive theme. But the other theme is God seems to be looking for people that will change the course of history, be willing to change the course of history, rebuild cities, and to see what it looks like when God rests on a people. That the nations will, that the nations will say, who's your daddy? And so there seemed to be this massive emphasis in the Old Testament around rebuilding cities, rebuilding humanity, redemption. How do we, how does redemption come? So Book of Judges is one of the most depressing books in the Bible. I mean, it is so discouraging. However, I look at another narrative. There's two narratives in Judges. One is that just the disastrous effects of sin and the evil wickedness. But there's another narrative, and it's God is looking for Samson's. He's looking, he's looking for the Gideons. He's looking for the Deborahs. He's looking for people that will emerge out of the noise of evil and sin and see the redemption of God come. So, so I think we have to, when we talk about kingdom, we have to have a whole scope of scripture. So yes, signs and wonders and miracles, and that should always be a theme. And it's not either or, it's, it's both and. Is the, okay, what is our role in seeing cities rebuilt? Now, the challenge in this conversation is we have to be able to delineate between Christianizing and the kingdom. That's the big challenge, that, and that deserves a bunch of podcasts on. But for the listener today, is understanding, yeah, I think the church has, done, has attempted it in the past, but maybe they've done more Christianizing than actually seeing the kingdom come. And we have to get... We, as a church and as leaders, have to know the difference. And I believe we're in a season of learning that as we speak. For sure. Because I, I think that that the greatest thing that the church has done, specifically even watching how you guys have done things, because I think a lot of people, whether or not you guys know this, and I'm sure you do, but a lot of people over here on the East Coast look to how you guys have impacted not just people in the city, but the literal city and beyond, and and kind of take some some – pointers or some ideas or some some prophetic inspiration to how you guys have not just had great ideas but you've actually moved into taking those ideas and making them become reality in the kingdom like you said and so I think I think that's really awesome kind of kind of going along that same line and, and staying in the same vein of moving beyond the church Bethel is specifically known as a very prophetic culture and, um, and I think that's really awesome because everything you guys do, it seems like it's just flowing from the Spirit. And so um, along the lines of culture and kind of your kingdom come, et cetera, uh, how did you guys go about establishing that prophetic culture? And what were some of the processes that, um, that worked, didn't work in moving an entire congregation into being a prophetic culture church? Yeah, You know, and obviously each listener is going to have a different experience with the prophetic and culture and prophets and prophetesses. And so I think probably a couple of things that's worth mentioning uh, from a cultural perspective is um, it would have to do with, do we have a man of God view of the prophetic or do we have the church can be prophetic? 
I, I don't think it's either or. I think it's both. And I do believe there are men and women that are prophets and prophetesses. But you have to understand the fivefold, when we talked in Ephesians 4, when Paul talked about the fivefold, one of the couple goals, one of the goals of the fivefold was to equip and train the church. So when we talk about prophets and prophetesses, I believe one of their main priorities is to raise up people that can prophesy. And so oftentimes, at least in my experience, as far as my interaction with church leaders for years now, it seemed to be about one man or one woman. And, and I think that's great. And there's a place for that. However, I do believe there needs to be a culture needs to be expressed from that. So I think tackling that is really was a first step. So for our environment, my dad and Chris Valentin were huge on this. First, my dad had the massive value for profits and the prophetic culture. I don't know, I don't know a, a day in my life where the prophetic or prophet, the prophetesses weren't involved. That just... It, my worldview has been shaped deeply by that. Now, Chris, Chris is one of the best activators, equippers I know. So when Chris was like, if I got something, I want to help other people do the same thing. So he naturally, he naturally trains and equips. It's just what he does. BSSM, our school of 2,500 students, was my dad's vision. But Chris was the brainchild as far as the guy that was, okay, let's build it. Let's train and equip people like crazy. But I think some of the values, some of the hurdles are, is it about one man or one woman, or is it about actually teaching a culture to prophesy? Now, here comes the next step. A lot of people, they if it's performance-driven, then what you're going to produce is you're going to produce people that won't take risk. And so performance-driven cultures are you can't make a mistake or you'll lose your position or your role or your influence. Um. And so what we do is we, we don't actually raise up people. We, we, don't, we don't do anything, to be honest with you. So I think if we can get rid of the performance-driven culture and create what we call an R&D culture, which is research and development. So deep, in, deep inside Bethel, we have a space in our, in our environment where we're learning a gift where we can make mistakes. Not like I'm choosing to sin. It's like, I'm going to try something, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, I'm going to come back. But I'm not going to get punished because I didn't get it right. That's a big challenge in creating. A lot of people are creating great performing prophetic culture, but they're not creating very much grace-driven prophetic cultures. That See, that that's awesome because I've always heard it kind of like this, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I think you will. It, it's growing up in a Pentecostal charismatic um, expression uh, there was always a prophet person that was there, um, but it, it always seemed like it was reliant on that prophet rather than the prophet's purpose being raising up a bunch of other people who could also hear. And so um, that's what I love about what you guys do is it, it you do have people like Chris and other people who obviously hear from God and deliver, but their primary role, they see it as training up other people who can hear the same exact way. Yeah. And, um, and so I think when you said about uh, the Ephesians equipping the saints, that's exactly um, yeah. what I've noticed you guys do. And, and I've seen that um, rarely work because a lot of people aren't operating in that. But when they are, it's, it's like that sweet spot of the prophetic. So, um, yeah. so I, I think that's really great. Yeah, the other, the other thing I would add, there's so much to talk on the topic. The other thing I think is important for this podcast is, is the identity. For example, um, it's, really, it's really something to navigate where – 
your gift doesn't become your identity. And if you have a culture that it becomes your identity, then that's where performance comes in. I have to perform for people to accept me, love me, acknowledge me. And so that's why it's really crucial that the, the stakes in the ground, so to speak, are uh, the culture going to be performance driven, identity driven, or is it going to be grace given, gift driven? And so anyway, so there's, you know, there's so much to talk about here, but yeah, that, that's what we're trying. I mean, have we got a perfect by far? No, uh, by far, no, but we feel, you know, John Wimber's the one, at least from my recollection, he's the one that took signs and wonders and said, how do we raise up the church to walk in signs and wonders, not just one man or one woman. And so we are heavily influenced by John Wimber as far as his ability to raise up in a company of people, not just one person. So that's that's so great. Awesome stuff to take from. Uh, what what are some of the, the craziest signs, wonders, encounters, you know, et cetera, that you guys have seen as a church? Yeah, I mean, there's, honestly, there's so many. The one I'm thinking of right now, um, we just got a report last June. Um, this was in another country in the South Pacific. June 1st, a woman got diagnosed with cancer in her bowels. And by mid-June, so June 1st got the, the diagnosis. Mid-June, she went to a conference uh, one of our team was speaking at, got prayed for. So she had no treatment. She just got the diagnosis, got prayed for, went back for the next checkup at the end of the month, June. And I have the pictures on my phone. You have the, the before picture and the after picture. No treatment whatsoever. And you have you have a cancer covered bowel, and the next picture is a is basically no cancer. And the doctor said it's not just there's no cancer; this bowel looks brand new. Wow! So that Praise we just heard, we just heard that report two or three weeks ago. So that's a real fresh one. Um, praying for people that have gross on the body and feeling them disappear. I mean, that never gets old. <laughs> well, talk about like like. The, uh, the thing that everybody likes to talk about, and, and I just would love to get your perspective on it, um, like the, the glory cloud, for example. Um, those moments that you guys have experienced that honestly, churches like us that are very young, I mean, we're going after God and believing that as we go after him, we're going to see signs and wonders and stuff like that as you know a church like Bethel has seen. In those moments, what kind of emotions or awe or... Um, view of God, do, do those moments kind of pull out of you? That's such a great question because it happened, if I remember correctly, I think it was 26 times in 18 months that we had, had that thing happen. And, and so we had lots of time to interact with it. Sometimes it was so you felt nothing. Like there was no like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed with the, it was like, this feels so normal, but it's so obvious what's happening. And the person next to you is feeling the exact opposite. They're feeling the weighty presence of God. And then the other times, like, you would feel the weighty presence, and the person next to you would be like, this just feels so normal. So that's what kind of, for me, I speak for myself, that was surprising. That was surprising in that was such a pretty strong manifestation of the presence of God, having a cloud show up in your auditorium you would think man everybody's flattened out and there were people flattened out but some of us were just standing there staring at this thing going what is this oh my what in the world is happening and it was very very uh in the head like you're processing it in your head and then other times you're just out so 
it would it would all be above. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that was our experience. Yeah, because because there, there's even been moments with with us, and like I said, we are younger, but um, where people will hear angels singing behind them and and uh, feel Jesus walk behind them and all and all this other stuff. And every time that stuff happens, it, it brings it back to the place where it's like you can sometimes get so caught up in doing church that you almost it almost catches you off guard when God responds to the ecclesia like he said he would. And um, yeah. if that makes any sense. And so um, so hearing stories like that and, and even, even stuff that we've walked through and, and a bunch of other churches have walked through, it's really encouraging to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. Yeah. We, one of my, one of my favorite things uh, are a lot of our kids. So when the glory cloud would show up, our kids would run over with their mouth wide open, like trying to like get it in their mouth. Whoa. I thought that is so innocent. That is so beautiful. Cause if you read old revival stories in the Azusa revival, the kids would come with jars and they were trying to like capture the manifest presence of God. And I, and I just, I remember watching a couple of our young, now they're in high school, but at the time, young junior high, young elementary kid run over with their mouth wide open, like trying to put it. And it's like, so that was really cute and fun to see just the hunger from the kids. That that's the stuff that that I believe the church today, if we're gonna see revival, and this is a, the kind of one of the last questions I want to ask you, if we're gonna see revival like I believe we're called to see, not just another great awakening, but a an awakening that remains. Um, I believe one of the progenitors of that is having a legacy mindset. Um, because in our culture today, and I'm young, I'm 27. So in our culture today, it's very much, I want to see success in my lifetime rather than I want to make sure this thing is stronger in 200 years than it is today. And there's a lot of decisions that you'll make differently if you're in one or the other of those mindsets. And so kind of as part of the legacy of the Johnson family and what God has been doing, um, and now you obviously have kids that are growing up and stuff like that. Tell, tell me some, some times when you've made decisions based on this is going to affect my legacy, and I may not see it now, but I know this decision or that decision is going to affect my great-great-grandkids and have yeah. moved in that. Yeah, I mean, as a parent, you're constantly planting seeds. You know, it starts when they're, you know, babies. I mean, uh, you know, rocking my kid to sleep at night, I would sing over them. I would tell them stories. They understood none of the words I was saying, but I'm just planting seeds. I, I do believe, you know, though, though I'm asleep but my heart is awake, I think there is something very receptive that we have as spiritual beings. And so, so you as parents, you're just planting seeds. You're you're taking moments, and obviously you, you, you can only do so much before they're like, stop, you know, you know, whatever. But you're planting seeds, and then you're exposing them. So you're exposing them to what God is doing. So, you know, you know we, we travel often. So when they're young, we take our kids with us. So they're sitting in an environment where they're seeing people get radically touched by God. And then your deepest prayer as parents is that they would encounter God, that God would encounter them, not that they wouldn't know God through their parents or through their friend or through their youth pastors. They would know God as a personal relationship. And so you're constantly doing, you're praying, you're fasting. You know, I prayed over my daughters every night when they go to bed. I go in, I just pray over them. God, give them a heart to know you. And I pray for their future spouses. So you just, you're just doing that. And we're in a season right now where both of our kids are out of high school and we're starting 
we're definitely seeing fruits of a lot of those seeds. So I think it's a combination of planting seeds in their hearts, um, you know, raising them up with, with God in mind, exposing them to the works of God, to stories, but also first encounters, like they saw someone get healed. And then you're praying that they get rocked by God as well. That, that is kind of just, that's kind of the rhythm of parenting for us. Of just And then, hey, let's send them to that camp or let's send them on a trip to Brazil, Randy Clark. Let's, uh, you know, my oldest is in New Zealand, my youngest, sorry, is in New Zealand right now, YWAM. And so she's down there just getting radically impacted by God. So you just, you're just getting them exposed. So my daughter, this is a fun story real quick. My daughter uh, is two and a half now. But when she was one, um, she's alive today because God healed her in the womb. She had two cysts on her umbilical cord. And uh, yeah. two weeks later, prayed over her, went back to the doctor, and they couldn't even find a trace of them. And um, wow. so she's awesome. She's alive. She can sing so good, which is funny. But anyway, she uh, was watching a video of Amanda Cook leading uh, pieces on YouTube because we just play yeah. worship music all day. And um, and I walk in the room. And she's one. And I walk in the room, and she has um, both hands just like this watching this and i mean nobody else i mean every now and then you'll get a video shot of like you know yeah. somebody leading worship doing that but i'm walking in and i'm looking at this and i'm like she she's gonna grow up only knowing this yeah what i mean what kind of what kind of life can can she live growing up not having to have all the stuff that i grew up in uprooted and this just being normal you know what i'm saying yeah. and yeah. um and so, anyway, so what, what, are, what are some of the things, and this is the last question I'll ask you, what, what are some of the things, I feel like in America there's a big shift. We're in this season right now where people are desperate for an authentic move of God, but the church has kind of shifted, not fully, but in, the, in large part, towards a very cultural relevance mindset rather than a kingdom relevance mindset. And I feel like we're losing a lot of people that are searching for the authentic move of God that simply aren't able to find it in some of these moves. And so um, what, what do you think are some of the, the things that the church, specifically here in America, um, kind of needs to awaken to and, and kind of pray into moving forward into you know, the next generation? Yeah, you know, um, as a leader, the pastor, uh, deeply concerned about the quote-unquote deconstructionism that's that taking place. Um, you know, I, I I do think it's important to ask major questions. I, I, I'm a massive advocate of that. I've been talking about that way before deconstructionism was a thing. But the challenge, the challenge is people are deconstructing everything, but not but with no goal in mind. They're just deconstructing it almost just for deconstruction's sake. And that is a very secular-driven attitude. That is a very non-biblical, that is a very non-kingdom approach. And so I do think it's important to ask big questions, but when you start deconstructing major cardinal truths that are thousands of years strong, you're... you're you're doing. You're 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 inviting yourself to go down a very slippery slope. Now we are. You know what's happening. This is just Eric's opinion. We are. This is the grandchild of postmodernism. This is a. This is just a great grandchild. Whatever you want to call it. We're moving into, 
we've deconstructed a purpose of things on the outside, you know, you know, redefining this and that, and now we're redefining our physicality, our physiology, you know, the gender change, all that stuff. And then now it's moving very internal, our faith, our spirit, our, our the, the soul. We're like, and we're deconstructing it, but not, not with any rebuilding in mind, just hoping something good comes out of it. And we're deconstructing things that were never meant to be deconstructed. And so I'm not surprised by what's happening at all. I'm deeply burdened and deeply concerned. So what do we do? That's the question you're asking. What do we do? I think we can't react. We can't react and, and just go crazy and lose our mind. We have to understand. So for me, this is my posture. As leaders, and specifically the church, we have to understand how do we get here? Right, what, what got us here? What do we miss? And at the same time going, okay, what is authentic gospel? What is that? Do we even know what that is? And maybe some of the stuff that we thought was gospel isn't. So I think I think our view of the church, and again, I'm 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 writing a line at even 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 as I'm talking, but I do think we have to go, okay, are we what is our main ambition? Are we just trying to get people back into a pew? Are we just trying them to get them into a home group? Uh, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that, but like, are we actually trying to see them meet King Jesus? Uh, what, and so we, as leaders, we have to wrestle with that. And that changes our model. That changes our next steps. And so I don't know if I'm answering your question, but those are some of my thoughts around, it's a massive conversation for sure. So I think deconstruction is deeply concerning. What do we do? I think we need to make sure the truth, the cardinal truth of the gospel, leaders have to say, no, 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 this is immovable. Jesus Christ, death and resurrection is immovable. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. If, if there is another way, then the entire death and resurrection of Jesus is a fraud, a scandal, and it's not. So that, we can't move that. When it comes to heaven and hell and some of these other things, like these are cardinal truths that we have to adhere to. Um, but then I, for me, my the empathy part of me goes, we actually, instead of bashing the people that are falling off the cliff, we need to go after them with a rescue mindset, not a punching them in the face mindset. And that's why I get concerned where, Social media becomes a beehive of activity of just we start throwing darts and throwing stones. I'm like, that's not gonna that's not gonna do much. It'll get your point out, but there has to be another approach. And I think this is where private conversation by Jesus and Nicodemus need to happen. And and Jesus, you know, Jesus had an all night conversation with a guy that had no context for the gospel, no nothing. And Jesus was like, let's talk about this. And the fruit of that relationship is seen after Jesus died when Nicodemus is walking through the city. I think it was like 40 pounds of embalming stuff. It was like, oh, that's a public confession. So there has to be a place where we're willing to stay up all night, quote unquote, with people that are struggling to understand. So those are some real quick thoughts. And I, I just want to say, as we close up, like, I want to honor you and what you guys are doing because um especially where we are we've kind of seen this a lot but you guys on a much greater scale have seen a lot of people who who want the typical 
cultural relevance, easy, apathetic toward God church, and you guys have decided these are the truths, this is God, we've seen him move like this, and we aren't moving. And um, and I just personally want to honor that and thank you for that because it gives young leaders like myself and anybody else listening to this podcast the encouragement to see that that there are actually people out there who are living in the full spectrum of the gospel um, despite whatever backlash that might entail, and God is moving and using them in a way that is literally not just changing cities. At this point, it's changing the world. Yeah. And so, um, so I just want to honor you and thank you and just let you know that, you know, I know y'all get this all the time, but me personally, as a young leader, I am super thankful for you guys and what you're doing. And, um, cool. and I'm believing that, I mean, your best days aren't even close. And um, cool. I believe you guys are heading into a bright future. So real quick before you leave. Thank you so much. Favorite Bethel song before you leave. <laughs> favorite Bethel song. Yeah. Um, man, dude, <laughs> um, you know, let's see here. I would say Pieces. Pieces is amazing. Uh, Steph, got, Steph's got a few songs that I, I'm on repeat. Bro, that is way too hard of a question. Anyways, mine, mine is We Dance. We The doors open for yes. my wife coming down the aisle when it says, I will lock eyes with the one who has chosen me. And yes. the doors flung open. And we play that in worship here all the time. And I cry every single time. So We Dance is definitely <laughs> up on the top of that list. I'm with you on that. That's it. Well, thank you so much, man, for uh, for being with us. And, uh, and I'll be praying for you guys. And I'm really thankful for y'all. Great. Thanks, Josh. And bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this episode. This podcast is a stream from what God is doing at Dream Church in Columbia, South Carolina. To learn more, visit dreamcolumbia.com. I hope you have a great day.